Jesus says. We're looking at the Gospel of John. Looking at the words Jesus spoke, trying to understand what they meant back then and then imagine if they were spoken in our world. I really wanted to preach from one of the Gospels or or spend some time in one of the Gospels and about a month ago, Graham Hoare, when he was leading, he mentioned something that had sort of struck him when he was reading John's Gospel and, and just the way Jesus turns up and decides to call people to spend the day with him and Graham said... Imagine spending the day with Jesus. Anyone remember that when Graham said that? Yeah, it really struck me. I went, yeah, imagine if what happened back then happened now. And so we're going to spend some time just going through that. Well, today's reading is a little bit different, isn't it? We're not sort of hearing Jesus' words more. We're hearing the word. Jesus is the word. Around this time last year, Amanda Barnes and um, Lauren Corney spoke at one of our evening services on the Hillsong, no, it was over the Hillsong Conference or Colour. Colour. And what really struck me about what they were saying was there was this sense of the amazing preaching as the preaching happened or the people spoke, it was so powerful. And those times of worship with thousands of other people worshipping Jesus, you know, how, how magnificent, like Jesus was just lifted up. Yeah, Jesus, the, the preaching, the, the times of worship, the, the sense of the powerful presence of God was there, this sense of you couldn't be, you couldn't ignore the immensity of God. And just at the same time, it was exactly that same night, Mary was speaking to us about her trip to the, the, the Holy Land, to Israel. And what struck me about what Mary says was exactly the opposite, the ordinariness of the experience. That Mary, Mary said how she was just really struck, you know, the, the, the smallness of the buildings or the people and, and just the way that it, it struck Mary there was a, a person called Jesus walking around. And I sort of tried to show that in that bottom picture. That's the, um, the, the called the Wailing Wall, which is the last remaining part of the temple that was around in Jesus' time and, and I can just imagine in that crowd in, during Je- in Jesus' time how many Jesuses there were. That name Yeshua was very common. And so we have this sense of the immensity of God in the first one and then the ordinariness of God in the second. As we look at John 1, that's exactly what we see. That John starts with this extreme, this staggering opening as he looks to Jesus, the creator, the one, what, what God has done through Jesus, should be spoken, should be declared, should be worshipped. And the power of God behind that is amazing. And yet, at the same time, this statement, he became one of us, should knock us for six. That sense of this mighty movement, involved God becoming one of us and he was so ordinary, he was so in a sense so normal and outside the box of what God was that so many missed it and so many rejected it and with these two tensions we see God in the immensity and the ordinary. I want to spend some time looking at the first one. It's not hard to guess 
when you read those words, in the beginning, what John's talking about. Where else do we hear in the beginning? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I just think, when I, as I read those first words in John's Gospel, this, I just think, this is something else, this is brilliant. This is inspiring that John is in a sense writing about creation. And it's obvious as we read John 1 that he's talking about Jesus, his friend Jesus. This is no ordinary guy, he's saying. This is no ordinary man. No, he's done some great things, but he's not just a remarkable man. That He gives the flesh and blood Jesus divine qualities. In Genesis 1, after we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, John says Jesus was right there at the beginning. It says he was with God. No, no, it says he was God. No, it says he's the creator of all things. Through him all things were made. And Paul expands, doesn't he, on that. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have, be, have been created through him and for him. This man, Jesus, was God, the creator. But what I love is we get fresh perspective of that event, that amazing creation event. That There's this sense where as John looks back at it, he signs to Jesus, the creator, Two additional qualities. First of all, he's the word of God. In Genesis 1-2, we read that all around was darkness, all around was chaos, it was void. And then in verse 3, then God said. As God looked at the darkness, he spoke out and his word is powerful. And I think a really important thing I see as I read this is God's thought, desires, just remain thoughts until they were spoken out. So they were great ideas in God's mind, if you can imagine God having a mind, but they were just great ideas. They had to be spoken out. God's spoken word brought out his desires. What were his desires? Well, he longed, he longs for a humanity to, to be drawn to him, to rule with him forever. That's the desire of our creator God, that he would create a humanity that will rule with him forever. Pause and think about that. As we sit here in Blackheath 2017, he wants a humanity to rule with him, doing astounding things with him forever. That's the desire of God as he saw that void. But for that to happen, for that desire to happen, it first of all had to get spoken out. So into the darkness, into the chaos, God speaks. Then God said. And so that's when we read something like Psalm 8, this amazing passage which tells us that God's desires have been spoken out. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? 
human beings that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Then he expands on that and he finishes by declaring, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So God spoke and that desire starts to come. That light comes into darkness. But by the time of Jesus, it's obvious that things are still dark. It's obvious that that intrusion of the serpent in the Garden of Eden had an impact and still had an impact, not only on God's people but on God's creation. So it wasn't just impacting humanity, it was impacting creation too. Humanity is far from ruling God's earth and God's people, the Lord's name is hardly considered majestic in all the earth. We know that. That's basic Christianity. And so into that, God speaks again. It's almost like on the eighth day, God said, Jesus, that everything comes to fruition. God's plan, the creator, planned to come down and fix things. The thoughts that God had involved him intervening to destroy the power and the influence of the the devil on creation. But they needed to be spoken out and they were spoken out in the name of Jesus. Jesus coming to earth, as I said, is another and God said. Jesus is the word of God, the logos, out to create something new from the chaos that was there when he came. A new kingdom. And in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. Amen. But more inspiring than that, more inspiring than the fact that he's the word, he's the light. I've got to say, just as a pause, I was mentioning to other people earlier, as I was reading this word this week, I felt just absolutely inspired. I just thought, this is so immense. And yet it comes, it's me trying to, you know, get the thousand and one amazing thoughts that are going on in my head into words to inspire you because this is just absolutely astounding. And we're only into about verse 4 and it just astounds me what, you know, the, the, the freshness and the power that John brings. The next thing he says, more than just being the word of God, he's the light. And recall in Genesis, then God said, let there be light. Well, in the original Hebrew, then God said, be light. It's one word, be light. One word, not many words, one word. With one word, light entered creation. So John declares, with one word, light enters creation through Jesus. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In him, in Jesus, in that word, we gain true life. That's life in the fullest, in Jesus. That's life that is the light to all mankind. Jesus is the word and he's the light. Satan may have been able to overcome the light in the Garden of Eden. John tells us here, He has not overcome the light in Jesus, the light of the world. But he sure tried. 
He sure tried to put that light out. With the gift of hindsight, we know and we celebrate today it was the precious blood, the precious blood of a man, of what a man that was shed so that we can have life in him forever. Life that extends beyond this life. Not only set free from sin and death and darkness, but given life that extends, as I say, into the next and beyond. 10,000 times 10,000 years and we'll still be praising him. The mystery remains the creator became a flesh and blood human and the flesh and blood was broken so we could have life in the fullest. The irony in verse 10 then is is just so sad. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognise him. Creation doesn't recognise its creator. And I think elsewhere in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that, doesn't he? The prince of or the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see the light. You know, the light is blocked still. And even the Jewish people missed him or rejected him. He, was, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Even though they'd been praying for deliverance for so long, they missed him. They couldn't see that their creator, they couldn't see their God was with them. However, John knows the light is stronger. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That original desire, that original desire in God's mind to have children, to have a people of his own, comes to fruition for those who believe that he's Jesus. I just think, I just think there's so many pause moments during this, you know, as we hear these words, just to pause and reflect on that, that through him that original desire that God had for a people is brought about in Jesus. Now we can truly live the lives that God thought, that, that God desired. We can truly live them through Jesus. Stretching beyond this life. Revelation 22.5, there will be no more night. This is the, the delight of eternity. There will be no more light. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. There is a time coming where it's just going to be so amazingly perfect that we will reign with God forever. Just think about the, the world in which we're living in. There's a, there's a promise that Christians have that through Jesus we have life to the fullest in his name. And I think John's words, they're almost like reaching a crescendo. Like I say, it's only up to verse, be, verse 12 and if they just, just build and build and they reach a crescendo. By verse 12, I can imagine John being on the summit just shouting out, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace. Why is that significant? He tells us why that's significant, why that's amazing in verse 17. He was given, sorry, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were given through Jesus Christ. And again, it's, it's basic Christian 
understanding, basic Sunday school, um, Sunday school teaching. Moses, the law was given through Moses. Picture this, Moses brings the people of, of Egypt, the, the, the Jewish people out of Egypt. They, he, they were assembled before this huge mountain, a massive people and God comes in this astounding display of lightning and thunder so much that the people of God say, we're not, we don't want to talk to God. You go, Moses, you go. You, you, you go on our behalf. You tell us what God wants. And so God spends time with Moses, speaking to Moses. And we know that as Moses comes down, the glory of God is on Moses so much. What do the people say? Get away from us, Moses. Get away from us, Moses. We can't stand the glory that's on you. It's too much. It's all too much. You know, Moses has come armed with the law, with the Ten Commandments. This is what God wants. And it's all too much. And in fact, as, as we know from the book of Exodus and the other books, there's an, an, a, a massive instructions, isn't there? If you want to be the people of God, this is what you've got to do or else, you know, you won't get the blessing, you'll get the curse. Do this, you're okay. You want God to live with you, you want God to, to make his dwelling place among you. You think about the instructions for the tabernacle, they're very precise, aren't they? You can't stray at all from them. But think about when the Ark of the Covenant was touched. No, you can't do that, you will die. You will die if you don't follow this to the letter. The law came through Moses. It was a law that was just so, it almost like, who could live that? We know that, don't we? Who can live like that? So few people could make God happy through the law. And yet, grace and truth come through Jesus. God the Father speaking through Jesus, his only Son. You know, the word of God was concealed in a cloud on Mount Sinai. The word of God was concealed, was veiled in human flesh through Jesus. Yeah, with Moses, in a sense, it was majestic, a majestic God. It wasn't everything about it was just instilled fear in people, like they didn't even want to look at God, yet let, lest they die. And yet with Jesus, it was exactly the opposite. It was almost like he was too humble. He was too much of a man, too much, too much brokenness in his life, too much, in a sense, out of the box. Yet, John himself saw, didn't he? John himself on the Mount of Transfiguration saw Jesus transfigured. But just as significantly on the cross, a centurion looked up at the dead Jesus with the life sapped out of him and said, surely that was the Son of God. Isn't that beautiful? Just with that transfigured Jesus on the Mount in all of his glory and on the cross dead the same Jesus, the same Son of God. John says in verse 18, as he looked at Jesus, he was able to look at God and live. You know, they couldn't do that in the Old Testament. They wouldn't dare do that. But through Jesus, he can look at God and live. You know, Jesus doesn't come to burden us with more law. He comes to give us grace and truth. I was thinking of that song, that O Holy Night, that carol, his law is love and his gospel is peace. Jesus comes to give abundant life to anyone 
who will recognise and receive him. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us? How is that relevant today? Well, it's all relevant, isn't it? In this case, we're not stuck going, I wonder what, what part of this is still not true. It's still as true when it was first written. We don't have to do any sort of you know, contextual work here. It's still true to all who will receive him. He gives them the right to become children of God. It's just as relevant as when it was first written. Jesus is God's word. He's not a word. He's the word. Through Jesus God has spoken. There's no more words to be spoken. In fact, at the end of the Bible, what does John, the same apostle, write? Don't add to these words. Please, don't add to these words at your own peril. Nothing else needs to be written. Many do add to the Bible. And certainly in this letter, just as a bit of an aside, John the Baptist is mentioned a little bit. And that's because John the Baptist was getting a little bit more recognition than just a wonderful man. John was being worshipped and so John the Apostle wants to say, no, John the Baptist was another man but he was pointing to someone greater. So don't, don't allow anyone else to add to this and I think that's the, the world we live in in which, you know, for example, the Muslim people, they see Jesus through what he did. He's a mighty man but how could God possibly come and be a man, possibly die and then be God again? It's just too much for many other religions. The Jewish people are the same. They just cannot see that this could be possible. And so first of all, we just have to hold on to this truth that we had. God became flesh. Many today also, I think believers and non-believers alike, can, can trust that Jesus is and his words are good, but they're not necessarily absolute truth. Believers and non-believers get stuck in what Jesus says, add to it. And so we just need to trust and I think we're so blessed, particularly in the Baptist tradition, to have people who love the word of God. We have a tradition that people fight for the purity of God's word. We need to remember this word of God that's been passed on to us. For 2,000 years, others have come in and put pressure on God's people to dilute, to add to it. Yet the word of God we get Think, let's think for a moment about the cost to those that have come before, that have held on to truth. No, Jesus is the only word. We need to hold on to that. We need to be bold in our time and courageous as we hold on to the word of God. The Bible declares that the Jesus, the Jesus, the word of God, lives in us. There's something else too. The word of God, this immense God who became human and is now God again, lives in us and I just bet he wants to speak through us too how does God want to usually speak to people through other people it's not crazy to expect that God would want us to be speaking light and life and truth and power into this world we live in we've got to have the faith to believe there's power in the words we speak and I love that song we've been singing what a powerful name the name of Jesus is. We need to trust that even though there's the darkness all around us doesn't like the fact that Jesus, that we believe Jesus to be who he is. We have to trust that he still is into the darkness when we speak the name of Jesus. Sure, 
the darkness tries to crush us, doesn't it? The darkness tries to make us think, you know, that's not going to do anything, guys. Yeah, the devil knows how much power is in the gospel. So we need to just understand the world we live in. He's trying to stop us believing there's power in the name of Jesus. You Christians, have your nice desires, have your nice meetings, pray, do whatever you want, but don't dare go out there and try and do anything. And we certainly know that whenever, I certainly think social media shows us some of that, just that wave of, of just negativity and hatred and just, just sort of pressure that's put on anybody who tries to just hold on to Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. But I did say God's desires, they just remained nice thoughts. They just remained nice thoughts until they were spoken out. As he spoke them out, they came to be. Got to have that faith to believe that just as we speak that out, the words out, the words of life, that are giving us life, that are giving us hope, that are giving us, just inspiring us. We've got to believe that God wants to call others into his family through those words we speak. The light will continue to shine in the darkness because the darkness cannot overcome it. Satan knows that. Satan knows how powerful this stuff is. I believe what I'm going to say next, I really believe it's a prophetic word and that's no small thing I say. You know, many people have been praying for a lot of years for, for this thing called revival. There's this sense in, in which church, there's just times that come when church is just, every church is so vibrant. Now, it, it seems that there's, there's just this effectiveness that comes in, in waves and I believe that God has something unique planned for every generation. I, I believe that every generation of people, God wants to do something wonderfully and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to partner with the church and just have these times of great fruitfulness. And I think we've seen that. If you, you sort of look back at your, your life as Christians, you can see these times that just seem to be mountain peaks, a great harvest of souls. I believe the next revival, I believe the next mass conversion will come as the word of God is preached faithfully. I really believe that the word of God is the power as the word's spoken, there will be a powerful time coming. And that's why I think the Baptist church is so fortunate because for so long the Baptist church will say, you know, the word of God alone. Now, there's such a high authority given to the word of God. And I believe God knows that and God has designed us to have that just esteem of the word of God. And now we've got to trust that God doesn't just want us to, to esteem it. He wants us to speak it out. Around 20 years ago, there was another incredible move of the Holy Spirit and last week we had Ron Brookman, who was the senior pastor at Newtown Mission at the time, speak to Ron about how crazy revival gets. It was an extremely experiential thing that was happening and, and certainly multitudes of people, I wasn't at Newtown Mission at the time, but I was part of that. Just, it was an incredibly powerful time. It just seemed that people were able to experience the power of God in the worship times, in the ministry times. Yeah, they, were, they really were, despite what anyone may think about that. As I look back, they were powerful, powerful times. You could not deny that God was in it. Everything just seemed to be so fruitful and effortless. And, and certainly they were glorious days. And, and you know, I think 
as those that have lived that many of us want to sort of, in a sense, return to those times when it just seems church is so effective. However, I recall that as much as the worship and as much as the, um, the times of ministry were powerful, quite often there would be a little bit of a mass exodus as the word of God was preached. It seemed that, I remember talking to people and they'd say things like, oh, I'm just not into the preaching, it's too dry, you know, I'm more into to the yeah, experiencing God, you know, that sort of stuff. Well, both Ron and I, as we've gone forward from those times, as pastors, we've seen that the ones that have stayed, the ones that have grown, are the ones that are sitting under the word, the ones that are actually allowing the spirit of God to convict through his word, to, to shape through his word, to mould as the word of God's preached. And I do believe that's why, as, as in a sense, welcoming the Spirit of God into our churches is so important and the truth preached. That sense of expecting God to work amongst us and also through his word. There's a, a saying, I'm not, not sure if anyone has heard it, that all word, no spirit, you dry up. All spirit, no word, you blow up. With spirit and word, you grow up. And I really believe that's what we should expect as we, have, as we welcome the Holy Spirit into our midst in, in a beautiful way. But we also welcome the Word of God with spirit and truth so we'll worship God. And I also sense that as many believers throughout this country, there's, there's beautiful prayer movements starting as we all seek God, as we're all really asking for revival and fruitfulness. I believe it's going to be as the Word of God is, is spoken with authority and power again. In places like this, however, I also think there's a, a number of ways that God can work beyond just a church building. I believe that as the Word of God permeates the internet, as TV, movies, all those sort of things, that people will be exposed and touched. I really believe that. And so it starts, just, just three things I know that are sort of happening. Uh, Helen Wright, who was from Newtown Mission, I was speaking to her a couple of weeks ago and she said, you know, it was pretty risky but we've gone out onto King Street now from Newtown Mission and they are preaching, they are just speaking the Gospel of John. They are, okay, wow, that's pretty courageous. You know, just, they, they go out onto King Street and just speak out the Gospel of John. About a month ago, my, I myself, I was just on Facebook, I just happened to you know, click a couple of things and I was stunned at, at what I was, you know, on my Facebook site, just these graphic things that were, were sort of appearing, there was you know, these graphic sexual things come up and I actually got straight onto Facebook. This is disgusting, you know, how, how could you allow this onto my site, you know, pressing all the right links, you know, to, to let them know I was unhappy with what I'd received and their, their basically response was, Oh, we, we thank you for letting us know, but, but we don't find anything wrong with what you've seen. And it happened again a couple of weeks ago. And it was actually the most graphic violence that I, I didn't actually think, well, there's no way they're going to let this go. And sure enough, thank you for your response, but we don't see anything wrong with the content, even though someone had effectively been burnt to death before my eyes. And so I sort of thought, well, I'm a bit over this. I'm a bit over being told what, what, what is sort of acceptable. And so you might notice on my Facebook site, there's just a little bit more good stuff, a bit of grace and truth going out there. You know what I mean? Rather than just this stuff that just is so, you know, just anything but affirming 
There's a bit of grace and truth going. I just want to acknowledge Phil Barrington at the back too because he's the same. And I think it's just so timely, Phil. You had that word this morning. You said, I just used Facebook as a way of, of just wanting to get the word of God out there, just to bless people. So bless you, Phil. I pray for fruitfulness for you, mate. I, I thought there was such a timeliness to that. Letting, just, just believing there's power as the word of God goes out. I want to close with this beautiful... Sorry, oh God, I haven't kept up, have I? This beautiful promise from Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11. Let's be inspired to trust the power of God's word. As the rain and as the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Let's pray. Everyone say the word Jesus. Jesus. Oh, there's power in the name of Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Let's worship him. Jesus. All around us now, that name is anything but worshipped. That, that is a name of the, on people's lips that is anything but worshipful. Not in this room, Lord Jesus. On our lips, Jesus is a word of wonder, power and beauty. As we've sung, I pray, Lord, for courage that you give us courage to be able to speak your name. You are the word of God. I, I pray, Lord, you would just permeate our conversations, that our conversations could be so seasoned with grace and truth. Lord, just, just I pray that we wouldn't allow ourselves to be judgmental in the words we speak or condemning, but just like you did, Lord Jesus, you came full of grace and truth, that our words would be gracious and truthful, and powerful. Lord, I pray for us as, as, a, as a fellowship, Lord, may we be known as a church that, that, that is a law, the law we have is a law of love. That, Lord God, everything we do is just setting others free. So, Lord, I also just want to pray for this series in the Gospel of John, that as we speak your words, that we would know that the word of God is in us and with us. And we do pray, Lord, that we could be the generation that you saw that worships you in spirit and in truth.